Today's New Testament lesson is from the book of Luke, chapter 22, verses 39 to 46. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. In his anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. When he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping because of grief. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, amen. Thank you, Morale, for reading our lesson today and for the joy that's ours to be in the Word together and in worship together. Thank you, Casey and Allison, for leading us. And uh, Mason Cavanis, I have a new favorite song now that you sang. Every time I hear Mason sing a song, I have a new favorite, and we're grateful to him for sharing with us, it, particularly one that is so appropriate to our theme and to the message this day. Uh, if you have been with us the last eight weeks, you know that we are presently in our eighth week of this series on prayer that we're calling Teach Us to Pray. Uh, the next two weeks, two weeks from today, we'll conclude the series, but I just kind of want to give you a trailer and let you know that next week I'm going to be preaching on Luke 23:34, the dying prayer of Jesus, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And we're going to look at that text next week, the prayer of Jesus from the cross according to Luke. And then finally, uh, in two weeks from today, we're actually going to leave Luke. We've been in Luke for, we will have been in Luke for nine weeks. I'm going to preach on John 17, which is specifically Jesus's prayer during the last week of his life for the unity of the church. And so I hope you'll continue to be with us in the next couple of weeks as we finish this series. This morning, we turn our attention to what I think may be the most important prayer, the most significant prayer that Jesus ever prayed. I often refer to this, students and scholars of the word often speak of this prayer as the nevertheless prayer. Father, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not what I want, but your will be done. I want to begin by giving you some context. This particular scene, according to Luke, takes place during the last week of Jesus' life, the week we call Holy Week, which also in Judaism is the week of Passover. On the night that Jesus prayed this prayer, we refer to this in the tradition of the church this night as Maundy Thursday night. It's interesting that the word Maundy actually comes from the Latin which means mandate or commandment. And so it's an echo of John 13 where Jesus says to his friends, a new mandate I give unto you that you're to love one another. 
And by this shall all people know that you're mine, not by the way you preach, but by the way that you have love one to another. That's in John 13. So in this text, Jesus has just washed the feet of his disciples on Mandate Thursday. He then serves his friends the Seder meal, which commemorates the deliverance of Hebrew slaves from Egyptian bondage. But on this particular Mandate Thursday, Jesus at the table actually transforms the meaning of the Seder meal. As he broke the bread, which we'll do next week on World Communion Sunday, as Jesus broke the bread at the table, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then the cup, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. So what Jesus is doing here on Mandate Thursday is he's transforming this Seder meal, the meaning of the meal, into a deeper form of deliverance by which Jesus the following day is going to liberate his children from bondage to sin and death, but not simply by the blood of a lamb, but by the blood of the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Now, to be sure, we know that the disciples, they didn't really fully understand what was happening in that present moment any more than we do in this present moment. They didn't get it in real time but they got it in the future in retrospect. That's the way it is with most of us, isn't it? We, we live life forward, but we understand it in retrospect. That's the context. After the meal, Jesus led his disciples, this is interesting, to the place. That's in quotes. That's on the Mount of Olives. Some of you have been there. We took a group last year. It's on the east side of Jerusalem, just, just beyond the city gates. During the Passover, the city would become so slammed, so congested with religious pilgrims that those people of lesser means would arrange lodging outside the city limits, outside the walls. And so it was with Jesus and company. They had a favorite spot outside the gates in an olive grove where they would often go to rest and pray. John calls it a garden. Matthew and Mark call it Gethsemane, which means oil crush. And Luke just calls it the place. I love that. Have you got a place? Everybody needs a place, whether it's in your home or away from home where you go, where you feel especially close to God. I have a place. Mine is Radnor. Have I ever mentioned Radnor to you? It is, for me at least, the original sanctuary it's a place of, of refuge and retreat where I can walk with God and pray to God and think out loud and sometimes review my sermon out loud, which concerns those who pass by me occasionally. But everybody needs a place. And on this night, the night before his death, Jesus went to his place. He needed prayer. He knew where the pathway was going. He had predicted it no less than three times. And so they go to the olive press. When they get there, Luke specifies that Jesus gave his disciples specific instructions in regard to their prayer. He said to them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. Does that sound familiar? 
It, it ought to because it's an echo of the model prayer that Jesus taught us, which we have said today in Luke chapter 11. He taught us to pray, among other things, lead us not into temptation. The word for temptation in the ancient Greek is trial or testing. Uh, Jesus is not here talking about moral temptation. What he's talking about is adversity. The kind of adversity that invariably comes not in spite of your faith, but because of your faith. Have you ever discovered that faith doesn't necessarily give you an escape hatch? Sometimes it places you right in the thick of the fire. And so the best translation of this is Jesus saying to his friends in the place, pray that you will not succumb to evil in the midst of adversity. We need that prayer. We're living in it. Have you ever discovered how adversity or calamity or pandemics have a way of exacerbating our issues so that it is so easy in a crisis to succumb to evil? This is the problem, says C.S. Lewis, of pain. Luke depicts that Jesus was actually in pain in the garden. It used, he uses the word, Jesus was in anguish. That's an interesting word. The Greek term is agonia. You recognize the word? Agony. Emotion. Deep grief. Mental strain. It's like a wrestling match between human desire and divine will. In fact, I think that Hebrews 5, verse 7 and 8, I think the writer of Hebrews had this scene in mind when he wrote these words about Jesus. Listen to this. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears, anguish, to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission, obedience. For although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. I don't know about you, but that's always the best teacher. Have you noticed that? I'm okay when things are good, when success is there, but when there's pain, when there's anguish, when there's suffering, I'm a good student in those moments. It's fascinating to me that, then all, that in all of this series that we've been talking about, Jesus teaching us to pray, Jesus never taught us to pray that God would remove us from the struggle. He never did that. He said, pray that you don't succumb to the evil in the midst of adversity. That's fascinating to me that if you back up a few verses from what Miral read for us a moment ago, that Jesus had actually warned the leader of his disciples, Peter, he'd actually warned him at the Seder meal in chapter 22, verse 31. Listen to what he says. Listen, Simon, for Satan wants to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and once you have turned back to me, you will strengthen your brothers. Jesus prayed for Peter. Peter did fail initially, as we all have, because we know that for Peter, in the very next scene that follows what we read, when Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss, 
and the soldiers come, what does Peter do? He comes out swinging. He gets violent. He opts for violence. He unsheaths his sword and he cuts off the ear of an officer. And Jesus says, sick them, boys. Whoop, nope, wrong, wrong translation. Jesus said, enough. No more of this. No more bloodshed. No more contempt. Enough. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. I think what Jesus is saying here is, friends, you cannot fight the Lord's fight with the devil's artillery. Enough. And then Jesus heals the guy as they put the handcuffs on him and take him away. I don't think Peter ever forgot that. I wouldn't have. I haven't. In fact, I think Peter learned his lesson that day because later in his epistles, in his first letter, chapter 3, this is what he writes. Do not repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults because people insult you. Instead, get this, pay them back with a blessing. Really? (laughs) Well, Peter, I would much rather bless somebody out than give them a blessing. But he said, don't insult those who insult you. Bless them. It sounds a lot like a rabbi that I once heard preach on a hilltop who said something like this. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. (laughs) That you may be sons and daughters of your father in heaven. Implication is when I don't pray... For those opponents, I may not be who you think I am. And so Jesus teaches us that in the midst of adversity, pray that you won't succumb to evil. Now, Peter wasn't the only one that messed up. They all did. We all have. All of them failed in the clutch. All of them fled Jesus on that mandate Thursday And Jesus, who had removed himself, a stone's throw, I don't know, it depends on who's throwing the stone, but it's a little ways away. He comes back after praying to check on the guys, and and guess, guess what they're doing? They're sawing logs. They've gone to sleep. And then, I love this, Luke actually gives the disciples an out. (laughs) He makes this clarification. They were sleeping because of sorrow. Well, I get that, don't you? If you've ever been through the grief of losing a spouse or losing a loved one or, or a dear friend, you know how it feels when you come back from the funeral and all you want to do is just sleep. You just want to rest. So weighed down, so worn out with grief because the disciples too could see where it was going that they just passed out. Now, I think sometimes time and culture keep us from seeing the irony in the fact that the disciples went to sleep. Let me tell you something. In the first century, 
During Passover, it was customary on the night before Passover for all the devout Jewish men to stay up all night to testify about God's delivering power in their lives and in their history. But these guys are asleep. And I think, though Luke doesn't say it, that perhaps they're wondering on the brink of exhaustion if God is still in the delivery business. We do it too, we struggle. When the struggle gets tense, when the burden gets too heavy, when the pressure, the distress is too much, we're asleep on our feet sometimes. Some of you have felt this lately. You are spent. You are absolutely depleted. You are drained. And sometimes you develop what I would call compassion fatigue. And sometimes there are those even in the church that we conclude it just hurts too much to care. Asleep on our feet. But Jesus stays awake. The psalmist says, he who keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Isn't it wonderful that God keeps the light on 24-7? And then in verse 42, this is just like Luke. <laughs> he gives us an inner look at the soul of Jesus. This is what happened in Luke 18. You remember we got to see inside the soul of a Pharisee and a tax collector. We saw in the soul in the prayers of an unjust judge and a persistent widow. And now Luke is giving, giving us an inner glimpse, a peek at the soul of Jesus. And in the heat of the moment, in the fight of his life. This is what he says. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I want, but your will be done. What a prayer. Notice he didn't say, Father, if you're able. He said, if you're willing, let this cup, what cup? Well, the cup of suffering. Jesus didn't have a death wish. Jesus wanted to live. Jesus didn't have a martyrdom complex. Some of us do. Jesus wanted to live. He didn't want to die. And who in their right mind would want to die like that? Did God want Jesus to end like that? Was it God's will for his son to be bludgeoned to death? Hmm. My mother gave me a book on the day I left for college. I looked at the date on the inside cover, September the 10th, 1978. That's a long time ago. She gave me a book. It's called The Will of God by Leslie Weatherhead. It's a must read. In that book, Leslie Weatherhead, who, a British pastor who served City Temple in London for many years, explains the will of God in three facets. Listen to this. There is the intentional will of God, there is the circumstantial will of God, and there's the ultimate will of God. And then he explains. Says Weatherhead, the intentional will of God for Jesus was that we follow him, not crucify him. But then he adds, given the circumstances that Jesus faced, 
It was not God's will for Jesus to retreat from the cross, but to face it and to endure it, even if it cost him his life. That's the circumstantial will of God. But the ultimate will of God, says Weatherhead, is that Jesus is to be exalted, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, so that someday at the very mention of his name, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you cannot mess with the ultimate will of God. You can't change that. By the way, in the book, I noticed, I don't know that I'd ever noticed this before, my mother had written on the inside of the book, just below the date, a little prayer, and this is what it said. Son, may you find God's will and do it. Mom. I'm still living into that prayer. I hope she's still praying it. But it occurred to me that when we actually pray that prayer and mean it, not my will, but yours be done, what we're really saying is, Lord, I want you to realign my wants. I want you to recalibrate my wishes, readjust my desires so that they line up with yours, not my own so that I might be willing, whatever it cost, to discern your will and to do it, especially in the struggle. Mother Teresa, the great saint of Calcutta, was once asked to speak at a particular gathering, which she did. And after the benediction, all had gone but one young lady who approached her and said, Mother Teresa, I would give everything to have a faith like yours, to which she said, that's exactly what it cost me. Everything. She lived the prayer. One other word, and I'm finished. Uh, We had a funeral for Janice Dukes last Tuesday. We've had seven or eight funerals in the last few weeks, and I just so appreciate our congregational care team, clergy and staff and lay volunteers for the kind of care you provide. It's, it's a beautiful thing to see. Janice and Danny Dukes joined our church in 1975. They became a part of the Joyful Noise class. They raised their two girls here, youth choir, all of that. She died from complications of Parkinson's and Louis dementia. When I met with the family upstairs in the conference room, Danny and his two adult girls, he he told me a story that touched my heart. I want to finish with it. He said, Pastor Janice uh, grew up in the Trinity Lane Methodist Church, East Nashville. She went to Maplewood High School, class of 1962. Her family they, they were raised in the church. She loved God. And I didn't grow up that way. That, that wasn't a part of my upbringing. But I went one night to church with her, to her church. They were having a revival meeting. And there was a young pastor preaching that revival named Wallace Chapel. Do you know him? I said, I'm vaguely familiar with him. That's my dad. 
And he said, that was my night. That was the night that Jesus revealed himself to me and I've been different ever since. And the girls rather humorously at that point said, we can vouch for that. Our dad is a different man because of your dad. And I know what my father would have said if he had heard that. He would have said, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. I was in the right place at the right time to God be the glory. But as I heard their testimony, I got to tell you, the very idea that 50 some odd years later, the son of that preacher would have the privilege of walking with that good man through the valley of the shadows reminds me of the providence of God. It brought back my calling and it reminded me of yours which is to find God's will and to do it. (laughs) Now, let me tell you before we finish, you know not everything that happens in life is God's doing, okay? Intention and circumstance with human will shift and turn with our stumbling and slumbering, but the ultimate will of God cannot be sabotaged. It cannot be disrupted. When we are able to actually pray, thy will be done and mean it, there is a power unleashed that enables us to stay awake, to be alert, and to endure the struggle with assurance and confidence Paul did. That's why he wrote, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor pandemics nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors, he said, provided that the unceasing prayer of our heart is not what I will, but thine be done. And so my prayer is what is written in the margin of that book. Friend, may you find God's will and may you do it. In Jesus' name, amen.